but it is Palm Sunday, and we're thinking about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And I'm going to read to you a little bit from Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. At once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say to them, The Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say, daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the fault of the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They bought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Our sermon series for the last few Sundays has been exactly who is Jesus. As we've journeyed with Matthew, as we've looked at the gospel, we've been asking the question, who was Jesus? Was he a prophet? Was he a, a miracle worker? Was he a great moral teacher? Was he an imposter? Was he who he said he was? Was he a political power? And that question that reverberates still around the world today reverberated around Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. Who is Jesus? But Jesus had given them a picture of who he is by deliberately choosing to act out the words of the prophet Zechariah from centuries beforehand by making his entry in that way. I guess he'd gone, he'd, he'd made preparations for this entrance. He'd got the donkey primed, but in he comes. And the great crowd, crowd of pilgrims that are following from Galilee, from the north of Israel, as they've made their way to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, are joining in. This is the one who's to come. This is the one we set our hopes on. This is the, the messianic deliverer of Israel. Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna the son of David. Jesus acting out the prophetic message of Scripture to reveal who he is. Very dramatic, very inspiring. So how is it that a week later we have the crowds saying something very different? And if we go to Matthew 27, and I'm going to read this. It was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus, Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who's called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they'd handed Jesus over to him. And while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who's called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. The Gospels contain 
extensive material about the last week of Jesus' life. About a third of the Gospels are tied up with us. And here we, we have in the end of Matthew, from Matthew 21 onwards, right the way through, there's this, um, so much detail about Jesus' life that we're just reflecting on a little bit. But why is it that the crowds that could welcome Jesus on Passover for, for, the, for that, that Palm Sunday, why was there such a, an uproar demanding his death? I don't know if you've been struck by the Jesus Barabbas and the, the Jesus the Messiah. What does Barabbas mean? Bar Abbas. Bar means son. Abba means father. Jesus, son of the father, is chosen instead of Jesus, son of the father. Jesus, Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus Christ. So who's, who's Barabbas? Well, Barabbas is an insurrectionist. It's, Matthew tells us he's a well-known um, prisoner, but he's told elsewhere in, in the Gospels that he's a, an insurrectionist. He's like a zealot. He's somebody who wants to see Israel redeemed by political and military power. He's somebody who's been a revolutionary, someone who wants to overthrow Rome by the sword. And that is a stark choice that the people in Jerusalem had to make. When Jesus comes, he comes as the Prince of Peace. He comes riding on a donkey. He comes proclaiming a kingdom that's a different kingdom from the, the way of this world. He comes looking for an upside-down kingdom. The first act that Jesus does when he comes into Jerusalem, Matthew tells us, is to go to the temple, the place of worship, the center of religious life, the center of the destiny and uh, identity of the nation. And he goes into that place and he overturns the tables of the money changers. He overturns the tables of those who have been managing the temple coinage. You see, the temple's a holy place. It's where God could be found, the holy of holies, that intimate place. We believe that God is there in an imminent and special way. And therefore, we have to make sure that nothing unholy can come into the temple. That means the profane money that you use regularly, the money that's got Caesar's head on it, the, the ordinary coinage has to be swapped for temple coinage. If you're going to pay for your sacrifices, you're going to make your donations. But the money changers there are charging interest rates that are exorbitant. They're ripping off the worshippers, the poor, the people who, who sell the doves and the animals for sacrifices are ripping people off for the prices that they charge. And so this place of, of, of religious worship has become a place of explo exploitation of the poorest, which is why Jesus can say about it, this is meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. You've made it a den of robbers. And Jesus has come to destroy fake religion. He's come to destroy stuff that, that, that looks like it's godly, and, but actually it's as exploitative and manipulative and power-centered as the rest of the kingdoms of this world. He comes to turn it upside down because the kingdom that, that he proclaims is a kingdom where the poor are lifted up, where there's justice and peace and mercy for everyone. And of course, Jesus spends his week in Jerusalem confronting and challenging and annoying everybody. He throws down a gauntlet to all the powers. The Sadducees, who represent the political and religious elite of Israel, who are the, the ones from whom the high priestly families come, the ones who, who don't believe in resurrection and sincerity, they come with a ridiculous story because for them, resurrection is about passing your line on your descendants. So they tell a story about seven brothers who all marry the same woman and that one by one they die. She's a death trap, that woman. And, um, and they say, well, well who's... who's who, they, who she could be married then in the resurrection, if there is such a thing as a resurrection. 
And Jesus says to them, you're in error. You know neither the power of God nor the scriptures. When the dead, or those who are worthy to attain the resurrection, they're like the angels. There's neither giving nor receiving in marriage now. And, and he, he says, but God is not the dead of the living. Don't you know your scriptures? He takes them right back to their scriptures, what they love. This isn't God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So he confronts and silences them. And then the Pharisees come to him. They're trying to trip him up as well. And they present him with this coin. You know, who should we give, you know, who, who, what, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he says, bring us, bring us a coin. And he says, give to Caesar those, that's which is Caesar's, give to God which is God's. And, and again, he silences them. And, and, he, and he tells parables, actually, about them. He talks about the tenants in the vineyard. He says, you know, a, a master goes away and leaves his vineyard to tenants. And then he comes to find fruit and, and he sends servants. They, they beat them and they drive them out. He sends his own son, they kill him. And, they, and what will he do? He'll, he'll, he'll take back his vineyard from those unworthy tenants. And they'll be judged. And, and they knew that he was speaking against them. And he makes audacious claims. He, he quotes the Psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, come sit at my right hand. Who's David talking about, he says, when, when, when David, who writes this, says, the Lord said to my Lord, surely that the Lord is someone greater than David. Someone than greater than David is here. I'm greater than the temple. I'm greater than David. I'm the fulfillment of prophecy. I'm greater than the powers of religion. I'm greater than the powers of Rome. When he stands before Pilate, he can say to Pilate, you know, you've only got authority because someone above you sent it. And actually, I've got an authority Greater than that, I could summon 12 legions of angels. I'm not going to cooperate with your sham trial. Jesus throws down a gauntlet. And he throws down a gauntlet to the powers of hell because he heals the sick in the temple. And they come to him there. And he warns and rebukes. He, he acts like someone of authority, doesn't he? Because he has it. King Jesus. And so he's wound everyone up. He's thrown under the gauntlet, so they want to kill him. But the biggest challenge that Jesus brings is to challenge the power of hell itself. Do your worst. Crucify me. Jesus hands himself over, really. He lets himself be taken, doesn't he? And at the cross, uh, which we're going to look at on Good Friday, he challenges those powers. And um, as he goes to his grave, God vindicates him by raising him from the dead on, on Easter Sunday. That's King Jesus. That's who he is. But as we think about that, that's why the, the crowd turned against him, because he's so provocative, isn't he? I want to read you a poem, which I think is available on PowerPoint. And it's a poem by my friend and hero, uh, <laughs> Malcolm Geith. I love Malcolm Geith, first of all, because he, he rides a Harley Davidson. Second of all, he's got a lot of hair and a beard. Third of all, he smokes a pipe. Fourth of all, he's an, an academic and an English scholar. Fifth of all, he's a, uh, he's a, he's a priest, and, um, but he's, he's a poet, and he wrote this poem. And uh, if it goes up there, I'll try and read it. Now, to the gate of my Jerusalem, the seething holy city of my heart, the Savior comes. But will I welcome him? Oh, crowds of easy feelings make a start. They raise their hands, get caught up in the singing, and think the battle won. Too soon they'll find the challenge, the reversal he is bringing. Changes their tune. I know what lies behind the surface flourish that so quickly fades. 
self-interest and fearful guardedness. The hardness of the heart, its barricades, and at the core, the dreadful emptiness of perverted temple. Jesus, come, break my resistance and make me your home. It's one thing to look at the Palm Sunday story and think, how could the crowd be so fickle? How could they welcome Jesus in one breath and then ask for his crucifixion in the next? But if we look at our lives, when did we welcome Jesus in? Was it with a burst of emotion in a worship service where it just felt easy? I'm going to be blessed because Jesus is going to come in my life and everything's going to be fine. And when we find that when Jesus comes into our life, he disrupts and challenges our lives. When we say, Jesus, come and be Lord of my life, does he take us at our word and say, okay, I will come and be Lord. And when I come and be Lord, I'm going to overturn some tables in your life. I'm going to challenge some religion in your life. I'm going to challenge some power in your life. And honestly, if I'm, if I'm being truthful to you, I would say that Jesus Christ has disrupted my life because he's my Lord. Jesus doesn't want a fake disciple any more than he wanted fake religion. That's why he disrupts it. It's only his kingdom's got eternal life in it. And we will always be wanting to build kingdoms that have a temporary life, you know, span for this life only or for this season only, you know. But Jesus is wanting to build something that will last forever. He's wanting to give us a kingdom that can't be shaken. And therefore, every other kingdom will be shaken. And we don't like our kingdoms being shaken. I'm a disciple on a journey. And from time to time, even though I've welcomed Jesus Lord, I want to make David Mitchell Lord instead. It's a bit like choosing Barabbas instead of Jesus. I want to come back to my ways and, and, and put myself back on the throne instead of Jesus, which is why Jesus says to us this hard saying, if you want to save your life, you must lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. And where I've made choices at times because I've followed Jesus that have been far less comfortable than if I hadn't been. If I'm challenged about my own lifestyle daily, just living with other people, living in community. Honestly, if you welcome someone into your life, they will challenge your self-interest. If you welcome a, a partner, a marriage partner to your life, you know, you'll, you'll think, oh gosh, I thought it was going to be lovely and they were going to be really nice to me. <laughs> and I'd have a loving partner. Whereas I've welcomed a challenger into my life, probably, if you've got a normal marriage. And it's a lateral thing in marriage, isn't it? You work it out. But if you welcome King Jesus into your life, you're welcoming a challenger. But he doesn't need to change. You do. You, you need to have to conform your selfish, stubborn will into the likeness of the Son of Man, into the discipleship that he's calling you into. And that's a hard journey, actually. And it's a journey at this Easter season. We're saying, search me, Lord God. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in way everlasting. Will you come and be Lord of my heart? Will you break down those walls of resistance? And when I become fickle and, and turn against you, I, I know I need to change. So what we're going to do as we come to the end of our service today is we're going to give you an opportunity to welcome King Jesus into your life again, to recalibrate your life. 
I'm just going to ask you to pray a little prayer with me that we pray regularly at our 8 o'clock service down under, uh, um, 8 o'clock in the morning that is, for those of you who don't realise there is an 8 o'clock in the morning on Sundays. Um, we, we, we use a little liturgy down there from the Northumberland community, and it's got these words in it. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? And we say in response to that, Amen. Lord have mercy. And we say that because, yes, we pray that prayer, Jesus be Lord. Many of us, you may not have prayed that prayer, by the way. You may be watching online or here today and you think, well, I'm just exploring faith. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means dying. It means making Jesus Lord. It's not a crutch for the weak. It's a, it's a challenge for the strong, actually. And a challenge to the strong. It's a challenge for discipleship. It's, it's a challenge to take risks to make yourself uncomfortable, to do things that you hadn't always intended to do, to turn your life around. That's what it is, following Jesus. But if you're going to follow Jesus today, uh, it means loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. So we say that, and we say, Amen. And then we say, Lord, have mercy, because we're recognizing that we've failed. And we recalibrate our lives. We, we're choosing again to say, I want to love you with all my heart, soul, and mind and strength. So I'm going to give you that opportunity to say that with me and ask you the same question that we say downstairs. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? Amen. Lord, have mercy. Do you love the Lord your God with all your soul? Amen. Lord, have mercy. Do you love the Lord your God with all your mind? Amen. Lord, have mercy. And do you love the Lord your God with all your strength? Amen. Christ, have mercy. So we're going to take communion. And you're invited to come to the stations where we have this. We have some at the front, here, around the front. We have some at the stables at the, at the sides as well. And the, we've got, um, I think, gluten-free bread and grape juice. So hopefully that's accessible to most people um, to come and take them. And I'll, I'll lead us in a little communion prayer, and then we'll go back into worship. And in your own time, come to one of the tables. But come, because you want to make Jesus Lord. It, it might be that you've, you've done this many, many times. But it may be that for some few people here, perhaps, it might even be a first time where you're really saying, I want you to be Lord. And if that is true, that's what actually becoming a Christian really is. It's just saying, Jesus, be Lord of my life. And if for you today you're making that step, then we'd love to pray with you. I'd love you to talk to me or one of the team, and so that we could just counsel you about what it actually means in practice to put that declaration into practice in your life. But it would be, be right for us, wouldn't it, just to, just to ask God to um, just forgive us through Jesus for anything we've done that's hurt him or hurt other people or hurt ourselves. So let's take a moment of reflection. Father God, we're sorry that because of our foolish, stubborn way with us, you forgive us through the blood of Jesus, you restore our souls. So lift us up, Lord God, out of a miry clay and place our feet on a rock. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body given to you. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was whole, was broken so that broken people like us could be made whole. And after supper, Jesus took a cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And we do remember Jesus died, but we celebrate he's risen and his spirit is here, which means anything can happen. And we look forward to his coming again. We proclaim his death until he comes. So shall we say together the acclamation?
Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen. So we're going to invite you to come in your own time to the tables. We're going to be wrapping all this around in worship. And uh, as we come in worship, um, if you'd like prayer today because you have a need in your life, either something you want to say to God, where you need more of his power, where you need healing, where you need some breakthrough, if you just come to the front here, those of us who are here would we'll, love to pray for you. We'll, after we've given you the, the bread and the cup, we'll just love to lay hands on you and bless you and ask God to um, do whatever you need him to do in your life. So do come in your own time.